Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Uh, this is going to be a fun talk. I have Dr. Joe Breton with me, who I met many, many years ago at a festival as he was doing drumming circles with children. And today he has his drum and his flute, and we have so much to talk about. Joe, my first topic is how important is music to connecting people to nature and spirituality? Well, Dr. Kevin, the music is, can we say, the universal language? Sure. It touches our hearts. No matter where we're from, we hear a certain type of music with a certain chord progression, yeah. and we can either cry or we can get energized, yeah. and it tells a story. Mm. In, say, um, native tradition on the drums, there's a lot of vocables with no words, but the way they're, the way they're sung, the melodies that come across, dictate what the song is for it could be a song of courage it could be a song of honor it could be a song of healing and by the way the rhythm and the vocables are out are sung the person and the people know what the song is about right and this this music that you play and we're speaking of is very much different than Bon Jovi living on a prayer, right? I mean, we're, there's different types of music here. We're not talking about sort of the modern style, right? We're talking more ancient, a little more earthy, would you say? A little more in tune, all pun intended? Well, a lot of it has to do with the nature of the instrument. If you're playing, say, a wooden flute, yeah, you're using only your human breath. There's no electronics involved. Right. And you're receiving the actual organic mm. uh, rhythms and waves that, that exit the flute and that come and penetrate your body. Yeah. Yep. Same with the drum. I mean, you can listen to certain music on a CD, but it's all digitalized, so you're not actually getting the organic waves that are bathing you and healing you in, right. in a certain way. Right. And music can be used as a weapon or it can be used as healing. Right. And words are very powerful when you sing certain songs or certain melodies. It can initiate certain um, brainwave patterns. And this is all documented. Yeah, it is. You know, this is not esoteric. This is not dogma. This is, we this can, is practical. We can raise our vibrations. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is why we have sound healing. And uh, you were just showing me that this drum that you created, you can go around you know, a group of people who are, say, laying down, and you can play this drum over them, and they'll feel that. Yeah, vibrational energy. You'll feel those vibrations enter your body, and actually, you you sense that the cells are vibrating, and, and truly, they are. Right, right. And so you go around, and um, you know we're we're looking to get you involved in our nonprofit organization, and you do other nonprofit organizations, and you go out there, you go to schools, and you play the drums and the flute, and you do call and response with the children. And can you explain to the listeners? Uh, how 
beneficial your program is for children? It goes beyond the physical. Essentially, it's mind, body, spirit enrichment for yeah. children. Sure. Okay, it goes beyond the iPod. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, I don't know why they always say pod, because a pod is a, is a tribe of dolphins, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I hope they're, they're paying the copyrights to the dolphin tribes <laughs> on this planet. <laughs> um, but when you have groups of children together, you know, together we are stronger. We've heard that saying out there re- lately. Um, and when kids are chanting together, they're coming out of their shells. You know, they're laughing, they're giggling, maybe they're not saying much. But when you're singing words like, welcome healing in my body, in my world, and open my heart, and feel my fire, feel my thunder, and help one another, and let love awaken one more try, you know, words are very powerful. In the beginning, there was the word. There was the song, the creation of the universe. What is universe? Break the word down. Uni-verse. One song. Right? Sure. Sure. One poem, or whatever you will. Right. Creativity is so, so important. And when kids are faced with coming out of their shells and singing together, and then all of a sudden, okay, let's put the song, the voice, the rhythm, and the dance together. You know, how can a child not have fun? Right. How can a child not feel empowered? You know, it's more than just banging on drums. No, we're right. creating, can you, we're making a bubble. We're creating a family together, and hopefully yeah. they take this home. And, and, and your style is, is based in Native American tradition? It's based in just early tradition right? from all over the world, in, from the Celtic people to the Native American people to the people of Africa to the people of Australia, the, sure. the aboriginals. The drum was always a very important vessel right. for healing, for journey work, yeah, and also for war. And the flute. The war drums. The flute is big instrument in ancient india you know absolutely yeah i mean the snake tamers yeah what do they use yep yep (laughs) yep flute is just so beautiful i think it's the most spiritual instrument that there is well it's human breath creating yeah creating creating um song right and i've heard many indian gurus say or the sufis the ancient sufis Mm -hmm. say that like a reed flute is symbolic to human beings and that if you empty your thoughts if you mm-hmm. empty yourself mm-hmm. then god can play through you or the force the energy can play through you like become a flute yourself beautifully said yes yeah yeah so uh a lot of cool stuff here um and i've seen this myself with my own eyes would you and these children it's it's an amazing thing to see the kids get all into it and they're the call and response and and you said that at the end you you, right, so you bring them up, and then at the end, you bring them down to a relaxed state. Yes, and that's actually something new I've added to the program. Um, I do use a, a gong, a 34-inch gong, but also crystal bowls. And it's very important that when, these, when this particular um, healing song, song therapy is done, it, it resets the brainwave patterns. Right. Because we're bathed with with a lot of distractive energies, cell phones, um, TV, and not to mention the the microwaves that are going through and the 5G now that is gonna start coming out. You know, that's a whole nother podcast to talk about. It is. But this is something very special. Um, 
the song of uh, if you stand with a with a cell phone by a big bell let's say the liberty bell mm-hmm. and the bell is struck your phone will drop all its bars mm. so it's also protective in a sense so when the children are you know their hearts are racing and then they're all they're all excited and all of a sudden now they're laying down they have these eye bags so all the light is blocked out and the drum comes around and then the song of the bowls and then we end with the gong. We take them to another world. I say to the kids right before this, there's three things that can happen. One, you might have an out-of-body experience and they all laugh. You know, what is that, Dr. Joe? Well, I tell them, you know, you might feel yourself out of your body. The other thing is you could have a loss of time continuum where it might feel like five minutes, but really, at the end was 45 minutes long right or it might feel like it's three hours long and it's only the bowl has only been going for 30 seconds right and then the final thing is you might feel yourself in the cosmos mm. well you might see colors you might see like you're floating in the universe and this has happened to every single at least to one or two or three people each time sometimes we need to wake up a child because he's completely or she is completely laying down there and they're not waking up at the end when I said, okay, slowly bring yourselves back to the room. So we all kind of walk over to this child, we stand above them. Yeah. And then I said, okay, give them a, a slow you know, tap. And all of a sudden they open their eyes and they see everybody standing in there. You know, right, right. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see, you know. Um, but music, again, as we said before, is a universal language, but it's also a universal healer. Yeah. Everything has rhythm. Everything has waves. You know, the sun itself, it has particles, in it, but it also has waves. That's right. And when we sit by a campfire, it releases negative ions. If we sit by running water, crashing water, like at the beach or a waterfall, it releases negative ions. If you sit in front of a drum and the, you get bathed with those rhythms and the sound, it does something very similar. So why is this good? Well... It goes back to what we were just talking about, that children, especially the youth, are very susceptible to this modern, can we say, quote-unquote, convenience of the cell phones, of, of the TV, of the screens that we, we see people sitting at restaurants and just four people at a table just looking at their cell phones. Right. So there's something there, the water, the fire, the mist, the steam, the music, the rhythms from the bowls, the gongs, this can we say denatures these positive ions? Right, right. And what is left is you have this calmingness, this peace, this inner sense of, okay, this is how I'm supposed to feel. Right. Because we all deserve a good life. Right. There's so many people that suffered for us, whether it be veterans, whether it be sages, whether it be religious figures that gave their life right yeah. to make this country this world a better place so we need to honor that and we i think that we've forgotten the sacrifices that people have made to give us a better life and if we have been granted a good life good food good fire good friends and good cheer we are obligated to help make this world a better place to come together as a community mm. and so it starts with the individual so when i work with these children i say to them this is going to make you better. So you're going to take this betterness and you're going to bring it back to your family. 
then mm. you're going to help your family be better. Then you're going to help your community be better. Right. And then the community will help the world be better. Yeah. How do we start making a better world when we're not better ourselves? Right. You see? Yeah, I do. And so how do you end up doing this? I mean, you're a, a, a nature path by trade, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're supposed to be in an office taking patients. How how do you end up in in you know in the woods playing drums <laughs> <laughs> around a campfire next to a sauna? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Without I, running water? Yeah, sweat lodges and whatever else. You, I mean, you're very connected to nature. I can tell. Um, you said you're living very humbly, right? This is true. You're not living in a, f- a, f- a five-room house with four bathrooms and a finished basement? <laughs> no, we, you, they're making uh, TV shows about it. It's called Tiny Homes. I yeah. live in a 16-by-12-foot house. It has a nice deck, has a wood-fired sauna outside, has a little outhouse in the back. Um, and a, the eagles fly through my living room as we sit outside on the deck on the edge of 400 acres. You're a minimalist. But yet a creativeist, if right. I can say. Right. Like yourself, you know, education is a good thing because right. it introduces us to certain people. Right. We might have teachers that inspire us the rest of our life. Right. They might teach us statistics, but in a sense, they're teaching us about life and they don't even know it because of who they are, what they've been through, and their personality and how they speak to us after class as we talk to them. But then you get into practice, say, and you sit behind your desk, you have your degree on your wall. And then all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, I feel like what I learned in school and what I'm learning here in my practice, but there's something else I'm feeling my heart is taking me towards. Right. Right. I was seeing at the beginning of practice a lot of adults. But what I was seeing in the world was that our children need help. Right. They need mentors. That's why there's the big brothers and big sisters. Right. Groups, which are so important. That's why there's the after-school programs with the YMCA. There's, like, the, your nonprofit is dedicated to helping the youth. Right. What led you to that? Well, that's your own, that's your own personal revelations. Right. But I think we are constantly trying to better ourselves and following the inspiration because a seed is planted. Yeah. And when you get your degree, per se, you're that seed. But what does the seed have to do? It has to shed its cell. It has to crack open. Once it cracks open, Germany. it can't remain a seed or it will die and rot and the bugs will come in and ingest it. It's got to grow. No. And then what does it need? It needs to pop through yeah. the soil and get that sunlight. Yeah. So when you start feeling that you need to grow, you need to experience the proverbial sun. For me, it's God. Right. For others, it's their higher self. For others, it's some type of breath work or, or practice that brings them to a higher place. There are many religions in the world. And I think we have to start looking that, yeah, they're talking about one God with different names. Right. My grandmother, Keiko, who was 100% Polish, that came over on a boat that was related to Pope John Paul II. They grew up in the same town together. Mm-hmm said, never argue religion. Never It argue. goes against what it is all about. That's right. That's right. And we get stuck in this mine's better than yours mentality. Sure. It's like kids saying, my dad will beat up your dad. Right? <laughs> yeah. I totally get it, man. 
And uh, yeah, you said you're a practicing Catholic. Yes. You don't see too many practicing Catholics so earthly as as yourself. And minimalism and Native American traditions and um, you know what's what's just how do you evolve to this? If you go back to the very beginnings, mm-hmm. it wasn't a religion. It was called the way. The way. I just said this on a, a, a podcast, too. Yeah. And it's all called the way, too. I just want to it point is, out. The it Buddha is. called it the way. Yes. Lao Tzu called it yes. the way. Yes. It's the way. <laughs> Jesus called it the way. Yes. So some people say that power corrupts, right. and it does. If you read the book of Acts, it takes place right after the resurrection. And it's the next 40 years of the early church. And all it is is about strife and St. Paul and all a few of the other apostles trying to hold everything together. Because what happens? Within just 40 years, there was egos that arose. There was um, people stealing. There was people uh, embraced in immortality. And they were using the church for their own gain. And that was just 40 years. Imagine over 2,000 years later. Right. So what we have to go back is, whether it be Catholicism or Judaism or Islam, we have to go and look at the source. And what is the source? Look, those of you listening, look outside right now and look at a tree. God created that tree. Only one, one higher being created that tree. Right. But we put different names on it. Catholicism, for me... I fell away from Catholicism for a long time. And then I embraced a lot of different ceremonial ways. But as you go on, I said, well, can I, can I participate in sweat lodges and not feel guilty about it, right? Can I sing in a Sundance on the drum mm-hmm. and not feel like this is something pagan? Well, if we look at the origins of all those ceremonies, mm-hmm and dances, and whatever it may be to honor creation. Everything is completely interrelated. Right. The sun dance originated as a dance to heal the people. A ceremony to heal the people. Mm. It's something that we see in our world today that something or some force is trying to extract the humanity or spirituality out of people. Yeah. When the Europeans came to America, what's the first thing they did? They took away the medicine men, they took away their ceremonies, and they took away their children. Yeah. yeah. When you take away a spirituality and the youth, that's how you conquer. Yeah. And what we're seeing today in the world is a fever. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy things happening on the news, within politics. But just as the body needs to heal, it needs a fever to burn up the morbid matter. We all know this. Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, said, Give me fever, I shall cure any disease. And what we're seeing today in the world and the government around the world is a fever happening because it is going to get better. That's why you do your thing with with the youth program. That's why I do my thing with the youth programs because we know that the future belongs to the youth. And if we ignore that, I mean, my generation, I mean, look, look, a lot of them have have done amazing things. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? 
But now it's time, I believe, if we're going to have any advancements in medicine and science, we need to focus it to the youth world. Hmm. How can this benefit the youth? Because they are going to lead us. Right. But that's my, that's my opinion. Again, I hope I don't say anything to offend anybody because my purpose is to unite, right. to have um, a non-judgmental outlook, and that's very hard sometimes. Sure. Well, only an ego can be insulted. <laughs> yeah. But how much minimalism do you have in your life? Because this is something I talk about quite a bit too because I've, I'm fascinated with tiny homes and even more so van life. Um, I, I love the idea of getting like a, a, a pro master van and converting it sure. and having a little hotel on wheels sure, and just, and just going around and, you know, take a shower twice a week and call it a day, you know, like just minimalism. How can minimalism bring peace to somebody? How does it bring peace to you? There's an old saying before enlightenment, hmm. Chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. But what they're not telling you is yeah. that if you do chop your own wood and you do carry your own water, yeah. that is the path because you're, you're realizing, oh, how much water am I using? Does this water taste good? Yeah. If I don't chop this wood, I'm going to freeze to death. Yep. And so what happens? You start drinking good water because you're carrying your own water from a spring. Yeah. You're chopping your wood. You're sitting by fire. You're cooking over fire. Yeah. I tell you, when, my, when winter hits, my wood stove goes 24-7, and I always have a big pot of soup going. And I just keep adding to it. So there's always food in the house, you know. Yeah. Always food. Yeah. Being a minimalist is consistently also getting rid of things if you haven't used something in six months whether it be your clothes or something in your attic give it away yeah bring it to the thrift store purge purge it we go on vacation right yeah we go to a hotel we go to a bed and breakfast and it feels so clean so secure so nice why because there's a bed there's a little nightstand there's a desk yeah and it just feels so you know peaceful yeah then we go back home then we go back home, and we look at the clutter in our house. Back into the chaos. <laughs> back into the chaos. It's very important. That's why van life is very um, appealing, because you have to be a minimalist. Yep. Forced into it. I mean, look at the animals that we all admire. We admire the eagles. We admire our pets at home. We admire the bear. We, you know, there's a lot of people that, that look to the spirit of the animals, and the animals have everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I see turkeys go by my window mm-hmm. or a deer, and all they have is fur, yep. and they survive. Yep. And it's snowing and sleeting, and you're like, they're surviving. They're one with nature. They are, and that's the important thing we need. When, when we go back to the old history of music, it was played for three reasons. And these three reasons, these three aspects, were never disconnected they were always united like a circle that's one we played music for our community two we played music for creation right creation meaning the earth all our surroundings the elements that give us food that give us to give us the ability to live to procreate to go on to keep having children and going on and the and the third is creator 
So community, creator, and creation. And that's why music and dance was initiated. Right. How often do we see that today? Well, we're starting to see a resurgence. In 1976, the American government said, okay, the native people, the First Nations people, you're, you can do your sweat lodges without being arrested now. Right. And so we see that in the 70s, that's when we started seeing sweat lodges. Right. That's when, to the listeners out there, a sweat lodges, a traditional sweat lodges, when you bend sticks, you put blankets over that, and you heat rocks, and you bring it in the heated like rocks a, like in. Like an A-frame house? More of? like a, a wigwam style, okay. bent, bent sticks, okay. shall I say. But it's, it, it, it is a house of prayer. Okay. It is a house of prayer, not to be abused, not to take money for. And it's like a sauna that's just... It's a, they say sweat your prayers. Yeah. I used to live out in Dakotas in Eagle Butte on the Cheyenne River in the uh, reservation. I was building houses out there. I was just some uh, guy from Connecticut, you know, Polish and French guy from Connecticut, yeah. you know. And uh, I had read the book, Bury My Heart, A Wounded Knee, and I was really upset at my ancestry, you know being from European descent. Yeah. You know. So I even left... They did some nasty things. I even... Yeah. I even left school for that. I took a year off of, of college. Wow. You know, my poor mother, she was crying on the phone saying, you'll never come back. You'll never come back. I'm like, no, Mom. I'm going to go out there. Yeah, I'm going to see what it's all about. So I showed up on the reservation and said, how can I help? Wow. And... Did they accept the white man <laughs> into their lives? <laughs> Particularly where I was in Eagle Butte, it was an even mix. Yeah. But if you go down the Cherry Creek or Pine Ridge, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot different. Sure. A lot, of, you know, a lot of people forget the, the history of this country, right? There was a, a civil war before the Civil War. <laughs> And it was white man, white European man versus Native American. And some nasty things happened on both sides. What they're also not telling a lot of people is that, like you had mentioned, the van life, the gypsy life per se. Yeah. There was a lot of things going on in the world back in the late 1800s that a lot of people from the cities, like you and I, from, from Boston to New York to Chicago, that says, we're out of here. And instead of going live in the vans, they went and lived in teepees with the Native Americans. You know, today, in today's culture, we have a, over 100,000 strong of the rainbow tribes, the earth tribes, that live in the woods, that live the gypsy life, that live in vans, that live in campers. You know, so there is a, there is a culture on the road right now. If you were to buy a van today, go in your van and travel around for six months i'll run into others you will you will run into the into the cultures that are on the road today where people yep. have sold their homes yep they had their kids yep and they went on the road and they stay at campgrounds and they stay all over and they said we don't have to pay taxes now yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah pretty much they're out there hashtag van life they're all on instagram youtube yeah they're all documenting their their stories and yeah. it's it's fascinating to see people living off of six, seven hundred bucks a month type thing, mm -hmm. you know, how important is money in your in your existence? 
We need money to live, to yeah. buy groceries. Unless you have an expertise in bow hunting. Right. Right? Or, or know how to trapping or farming. Farming. Look, it's when we, we start basing our lives around getting things. Okay, I need a, a new car. Well, in two years, I need another new car. I need a bigger house. Back in the 70s, people had one, one story ranches that was very popular. And they had four or five kids living in there with one bathroom. It was a lot different. But somewhere along the lines, we, we've moved up. It's like the growth of the seed. You know? Yeah. Money can fund organizations like your organization. Yeah. Can do good. And it was originally invented for people who didn't have big trade skills probably i don't know because back in the day we bartered things right okay i'll i'll help you build your house if you you know whatever make whatever a garden or make a garden yeah and communities came together right and we supported each other and we've gotten away from that but on the same end of the spectrum or on the opposite end of the spectrum, we've actually come together with, say, social media because we are social animals. We want, we want to get that text from our friends. We want to keep communicating back and forth. So what we're seeing in the modern age is our, our ancient instincts, our ancient um, needs coming back. Right? Right. And I think that that's why we're, we're so easily drawn to, to such as things as social media or the Internet. Because... Deep down inside, we want to reconnect with everyone. Right. We want to have that connection again. Right. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Absolutely. So money's not bad. It's only bad if you, you use it for certain things. Right. Or your ego gets attached to it in some sort of way um, where it fuf- or, or, or pretends to fulfill somebody, right? Right. It's a tool. Right. It's a tool in our toolbox of life. Yeah. A few coins here, a few coins there. But it's not our only tool. No. We're, we're not just using hammers all the time for every single problem. You know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail to you. Right, right. <laughs> I always tell people that, you know, if you want to be rich financially, if you want financial freedom, all you have to do is double your expenses. If your monthly expenses is 1000 bucks. All you gotta do is make two thousand bucks. Hmm. Now you got a thousand bucks extra <laughs> to do whatever you want. You can throw that in a bank account. You can spend it, save it for a rainy day, invest it in the stock market. Whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. The key is coming down below your. Mm-hmm. If you just humble yourself and mm-hmm. bring yourself down to that minimalist, humble state. Mm-hmm. You can be rich without having a job that pays you 80 grand a year. Right? Because sometimes when we go after those big jobs, and I'm assuming at one point it was on your mind, if you studied to become a, a doctor, right? Is, I mean, that, that's a stereotype of a doctor. Doctors make money. Lawyer, doctors, lawyers. Mm-hmm. Doctors, lawyers, engineers. Money, money, money. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, not necessarily true because I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> And I'm a PhD. I'm the smart doctor. <laughs> but if if we can just humble ourselves and bring ourselves down, can't we be super happy, super peaceful 
We don't need 80 grand a year, right? Well, that's why they call it the way. The way. All those great sages in this world that mm. came before us and those who are born today are calling it the way. Mm. It is the way to become spiritually rich. And by the way, I want to say I've never in my life heard a Catholic talk about enlightenment and sages. Never. That's a very interesting dynamic that I'm seeing in you. And I've been around the enlightenment movement, we'll call it. I don't know what else to call it. We'll just call it that. People that follow the way. It's That's a different dynamic because, you know, it's not a stereotypical, air quotes, Catholic that you're speaking like. Honestly, what brought me back yeah. was the prayers of the saints. Okay. Study the prayers of the saints, those who have dedicated their lives to God. Like St. Francis and... Okay. Yeah. And read what they wrote. The saints from the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. Put aside all preconceived notions, what, what we see on TV, some of the atrocities that occur. Yeah. And look at the, the sources. Right. And you'll find those people who dedicated their lives to a, to a certain way. If I may use the term again. Yeah. In all religions. And we'll, there will be parallels to the Indian saints and Yes, there are seven ceremonies in native tradition. Mm -hmm. From say the sweat dance to the name I'm sorry, the sweat dance, the sun dance, mm -hmm. the sweat lodge, the uh, naming ceremony. And we look at the seven sacraments in Catholicism. And those seven ceremonies and the seven sacraments are all interrelated. Like the sacrament of reconciliation. When we confess things that have been heavy on our heart to another human being. It's similar to the sweat lodge. When we say our prayers and we, we expose our, our deepest challenges right. in a group to other human beings with steam, with song, with prayer. Right. So we're not confessing per se to one person. We have a group of six to 12 to 14 people that are hearing our challenges. Some things that we would never say, but what's said in the sweat stays in the sweat. What's said, what is said in the confessional stays in the confessional. Right. Right? Right. I see. And the naming ceremony is like the baptism. Because in Catholicism, when we're baptized, we get a new name. My name was Peter. Hmm. And in the naming ceremony, in native tradition, you get a name. So they're all interrelated. And, and allow me to interject too, coming, you know, studying uh, Asian Indian culture. Same thing. When you become uh, a monk or a sannyasin by a guru, yes. you get a new name. And your clothes are all, mm -hmm. right? Everyone in the community wears the same clothing. And mm. it's all, sometimes you wear a mallet, you know. Yeah. The way is the way. I, <laughs> I, I got you, man. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> the way is the way. I wish more people understood this. 
and we wouldn't be fighting, fighting over religion, politics so much, you know? And it all comes back to why you and I are here. Yeah. When we met, we're both, our vocations are to help enrich the youth. Right. On more than just a physical, mental level, but also a spiritual level. Because those three are there. Just like we have the sun, the moon, and the earth. Just like we have the three prim primary colors that create all the colors. Just like we have man, woman, and child. Right. We are in the third dimension, per se. Right. Right? So it's very important. We have time. We have space. Right? Mm. And we have matter. Again, three states. We also have water, air, and the solid. Three states of water. Right. right. So the youth need a balance. That's what we spoke about, a balance. Right. And our programs try to bring balance back to the youth. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, how does the Native American culture correlate to Jesus Christ himself? Is there any correlations there? I have heard stories from elders. I'm not Native American. I'm French and Polish. My great-grandmother, uh, we believe, was Mi'kmaq. A lot of people say Mi'kmaq, but the, the way to pronounce it, and those are the Native peoples from up in eastern Canada, uh, Maine area. Okay. Very powerful people. I've sang with some Mi'kmaq natives. There are writings out there and teachings of the elders that Christ did come to the Native American people. Mm. And this is documented in some books. There's a modern Chief Joseph, What the Elders Say. I believe that's the name of the book. I just actually watched uh, him on YouTube yesterday. And the stories of his people correlate with the Christ figure coming and teaching. When he came to Israel in that area of the world, if we looked at Judaism, there were sacrifices that were made to God, whether it be doves or oxen or things like this. And the incenses were burned and the animals were sacrificed. So the God who came to them needed to be sacrificed, the Lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist says, is behold the Lamb of God when he arrived at the River Jordan. Right. But when he came to his other flock, as he said, he taught them through other ways. Instead of the saints, we have a native tradition that the way the animals live. What are the spirits of the animals? What are the strength? What are the weaknesses? Well, you can learn this from the bear. You can learn this from, from the eagle. From the eagle, you can learn enlightenment. It sees far and wide as it flies over the little river. And it looks like a thread of blue. And it originates in the mountain and ends in the ocean. So the eagle sees where it begins and where it ends. But yet the mouse who lives close to the ground is reflective of the heart of the community. And he looks at the river or she looks at the river, the little mouse, and says, this must be the origins of all water. Because at their level, they see these ripples and these waves and these currents and they can't see above them. They can't see where it originates and they can't see where it ends. Do you see how the different sites, yeah. this different interpretations, and we look at the bear in native tradition, what does the bear do? It hibernates for six months. So there are times in our life when we have to go into, per se, hibernation. Go back to school, 
take a time out or do something that is away from what we have been doing and take a rest, right? Can relate to that. So Christ, when he came to the Native Americans, as the elders spoke to me about, taught through those ways. For he didn't need to hang on a, on a tree to get his message across. Because when he resurrected, he says, I am off to see my other flocks. I have work to do still. So I encourage readers to research that. Right, right. And try not to judge it. I'm not trying to, trying to hurt anybody with my words. Well, the people that listen to this podcast aren't, I wouldn't imagine, are very super-duper religious. They're uh, people that are just open mm-hmm. to getting inner peace at the end of the day. Oh. <laughs> and I, I think that the way is uh, a central theme. That you can find inner peace with Buddhism, Mm -hmm. with Native American traditions, or being a Protestant or whatever, you know. But the way is the way. Jesus is certainly one of the people that taught that, right? A very high spiritual master. It's also been written and reported that Jesus also was with the Essenes, mm-hmm. which were like Jewish, I guess you can call them Jewish monks, mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. right? And that's apparently in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. It's on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And uh, there's a very powerful book out there that is, is, is very important on my journey. It's called The Essene Gospel of Peace, mm. where Jesus is teaching Essene people how to cleanse their body. He's actually teaching them how to cleanse their bowels, mm. and some naturopathic type stuff, you know. And there's also reports that he went to India, mm-hmm. Asian India, and you know he he made a, may have came across you know Gautama the Buddha there, you know, or teachings of him, you know. Uh, he may have went to China. He you know like we don't. The bottom line is this Bible. In the story of Jesus, well, it's absent from, was it about 13 to 30? From when he was lost in the temple, and they found him after three days, till when he started his ministry at 30, yeah. 30, 31. So there is a lot of years lost. Yes. And yeah. we don't know what happened to his father either. Right. Joseph. Joseph. Yes. People don't know his real name either. It was Yeshua, Yeshua ben Joseph. Jesus is a Latin name. Mm -hmm. I I wish people paid attention to his teachings more than the church, so to speak. Amen. Uh, If you want to know Jesus, I mean, I think to me, it's the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, you go right to the Sermon on the Mount, you read it, you download some audios, and listen to it over and over and over and over and over again and try to decode what he's saying because the thing about Jesus, I've studied all the masters. Jesus spoke in a lot of parables. There's a lot of metaphors. There's a lot of analogies. Mm-hmm. You've got to decode it a little bit, 
right? Two eyes turning into one. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not normal talk, right? You're not mm-hmm. going to walk up to the gas station and be like, hey, man, turn your two eyes into one. They're not going to know, you know? Um, whereas Gautama the Buddha, he spoke a little more direct, mm-hmm. a little more direct, a little more like a professor, if you will. And Lao Tzu, he was a hermit. Mm-hmm. He was in the cave, like just, you know, saying the most peaceful stuff anyone's ever heard. Like, stay close to the ground. Um, so everyone had their own style. And I, I think uh, people have to... I think it's in people's best interest to, to find books that sort of decode what he's saying so that you can really get what he's saying. Because it's it's beautiful teachings, right? Forgiveness is one of his great teachings. Yes. How many times should I forgive? His apostle said seven right. times, and he goes seven times seventy. Right. That's right. a big one. Sure. And if we find it hard forgiving someone, we give it up to God. Something just happened a few weeks ago that I saw. I don't know. News, social media, whatever. People were talking about it. The woman, this woman cop, you may have heard this, she walked into another apartment in her apartment complex and she shot unarmed African-American man in his home. Strange woman just walks into your home and just shoots you. She claims it was an accident, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. Here we are a year later court case and she's up there and she's crying her eyeballs out and she's sincerely trying to tell everyone I know I have to be punished but I'm just telling you that this was an accident like I, I just had a, a mental fart so to speak I walked into the only, my, wrong apartment I thought I was being robbed and I shot to kill and I killed and she got sentenced and the brother of the man killed Walked up to her and hugged her. Said, I forgive you. It don't get much more forgiven than that. Wouldn't you say? Right. Not many people would do that, unfortunately. It's rare. That's some rare stuff right there. Most people are like, you know, burn in hell. You go to jail. You know, it's, it's I don't know. Why, why do you think he forgave her? He's a man of faith. That's the only way. Yeah. He also, his heart went out to her as he saw that she was sincerely sorrowful and was asking for forgiveness because he saw the pain and he realized, yes, it was an accident. And putting himself in her shoes, maybe he did that. Right. But that's something no one should go through. No. And did not Jesus say that? He said, his apostle said, well, why is, why is this man blind and deaf? Is it something that his parents did? And he says, no. It is something to reveal the power of God and heal that man who had been blind since birth or most of his life. Yeah. Yeah. So every day we, we see and hear things you know, we're also grateful for the teachers that teach us not what to do. But our hearts and our prayers go out to those, those family, 
that have experienced that, those individuals that are going through that suffering right now. Yeah. How have you dealt with suffering in your life? You're around 50, right? 50, yes. So you, you've been around 10 years longer than me. How, there, there must have been some sort of suffering that, that has happened. You don't have to be specific, but we all you have You ever it. hear of um, death by a thousand pinpricks? <laughs> you know, I've had a lot of things happen in my life that have been when I thought I was patting myself on the back that, hey, nice job. You must be getting being being a better man. Boom. Right down to, you know, dirt level humility. You know, something happens and there I am faced with guilt or whatever it may be or shame or, or dealing with um, pain in the body or something like this. Yeah. You know, to remind us. Yeah. Look. We have friends for life, and we have boon friends. Our boon friends are those friends that we go out and have a good time with, but we never really go deep with them. Right, companions. We haven't brawled, or we haven't said, I'm never talking to you again. I can't believe you stabbed me in the back. Right. And then we have our friends for life who've done all that, and right. we've done that to them. They're like family. And so an old priest said, sorrow is the growth of the soul. Hmm. And when we are experiencing suffering, that's most time we turn to God. I mean, look when 9-11 happened. The church is filled up. Right. Unfortunately, we learn from the negative experiences, but because we are human beings, and it is actually a gift, we forget about the hard times sometimes. Right. And we forget about that. How many times have you said, oh, my God, if, God, if you help me through this, I'll never do this again. Two and then you find yourself doing it again. Right, 30 days later. <laughs> like the prayer never happened, yeah. But what helps me the most is when I hear the word. When I, Going back to, yes, I am a practicing Catholic. I try to go to daily Mass. And when you hear the scripture, then you hear the sermon from the priest. Most of the time, it relates to what's happening in your life. And you constantly hear this, experience it, and you say, okay, I'm not alone. Oh, this is what, this is what the, the master teaches. This is what God teaches me. God knows we're not perfect at all. You know, the idea of original sin. Well, stop looking at it as original sin. Just look at your own life. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. There's something that's, that's preventing us from being enlightened beings, you know, and breathing off the sunshine and not having to eat food and being breatharians, you know? Oh, that, that's a whole other <laughs> We have to have, we have to consume things. We have to kill a plant and eat it. Yeah. We have to kill an animal if you choose and eat it. Yeah. So out of death comes life. And the other things that helps has been my men's groups, where you sit with men that go through hard times, you know? Okay. And you share your feelings, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And you do retreats. Exercise. Exercise, yeah. Working hard. When you use your body and you do manual labor, you can't help but not feel a sense of relief. Right. 
you know, on a, on a, on a biological level, you're releasing endorphins that are helping your mind feel good, you know? Right. So hard work, purpose, seeking forgiveness, understanding the wrongs you have done and try not to do them again. But also having fun in this life. Gotcha. This life is to love yeah. one another. And love is an action word. A relationship is a hard thing sometimes. It's not a bowl of cherries. Everybody out there listening knows that. Right. There's always something that comes up. And yep. it's whether or not we're yep. willing to see the changes in our partner or feel like our partner is recognizing our transformation and empowering with us. We, look, we might not agree with what the, the, the path that they're choosing. Like, oh, I want to go back to school and learn this. But how are we going to pay the bills? Right? But it's... The good partner will say, "Okay, honey, we're gonna we're gonna work through this. I'm gonna support you. I don't maybe not think it's the best thing, but it's what you want to do. So let's go let's go through it together, right? You know, and not take things so personal all the time too. I can't I can't believe you talk to me in that tone, like whatever. Maybe I had a hard day at work. Only an ego gets insulted. <laughs> right? Yes, that's, that's my fa- that's one of my favorite <laughs> mantras. It's it's true." You find an enlightened master and you say whatever you want to him, he's not going to get upset. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of gems on this recording that I hope people get. And uh, um, before we do some instruments, where can people find you if they want to say say hello? Or They can find me um, at my email or my website, okay. Dr. Joseph Breton, D-R-J-O-S-E-P-H, B-R-E-T-O-N dot com. That's info at drjosephbreton.com. Are you taking patients? I am. Okay. And then you're doing the kids' programs? I'm doing the kids' program. My phone number, if anybody wants to call me directly for any questions or concerns, is area code 413-388-3344. Text them. Tell them, tell them what you got out of this uh out of this podcast episode, I need to hear that flute, man. The flute is the uh, the Ayatollah of Musicola. This song is Dana He, Dana Ho. It is said, it is good. about that drum let's, let's give them at least one one gong
Beautiful. Vibrations right there. If you're looking for me, go to drreese.com. That's doctor spelt out. Be sure to explore these episodes. There's gems all over the place from all different types of people, all trying to achieve our natural state, which is peaceful. I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.